RBC Investor Services presents insights on the challenges and opportunities confronting corporate and institutional investors in Canada. Coming up on today's podcast is Dennis Calvin, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at Toronto-based Nexus Investment Management, discussing the current state of Canada's asset and wealth management industry. Welcome back, Dennis. Thank you, Marie. I'm delighted to be here. Dennis, this will be the third podcast that you've participated in with RBC. If if you can believe it, the first one was actually back in December of 2020, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. What are some of the key changes that you've witnessed over the past two and a half years as, as far as the Canadian asset and wealth management business is concerned? Yeah, I know it's... Uh... It's sort of an interesting time, landscape to look back over. So a few things um, in no particular order. Uh, this whole notion of work from home has now evolved to, we call it hybrid, right? Um, and that was a pandemic era uh, imperative that now seems to be our new normal. And with a few exceptions, uh, in our business and in a lot of sort of service businesses like ours, there seems to be no sign of a, a return to office on a full-time, you know, five days a week basis. So that's, you know, that's something, I think that's a big change, not peculiar to the wealth management business, but it's certainly one that affects us. Um, the other big change is, um, remember back in December of 2020 and for some time before that, cash was trash, right? The rates were so low, there was there was nothing, no return on cash. But cash is now sort of a legitimate income-earning asset class. You know, whether or not that rate of return is a, a positive real rate is a, is a reasonable discussion. But um, interest rates on cash and equivalents are enough now to matter in the grand scheme of things, both for the investment manager and for the manager's clients. Um, I would say alt or alternatives as the, the sort of non-public markets asset classes are collectively referred to, they've clearly grown to be a significant share of private client portfolios. That's an evolution that I don't, it certainly didn't start with the pandemic, but it's, it, it, it's done nothing but gather uh, speed. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is the client-focused reforms were, if they'd been finalized when we spoke last, Murray, uh, I don't remember, but they're now sort of live and you know, implemented or in the process of being implemented. And these are sort of the regulatory reforms visited upon firms like us and many of our brethren in the Canadian market by the Canadian regulators. So those would be four things that I think of. Uh, of all the change that's occurred, Dennis, what what surprised you most? So a few things. I mean, the, 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 on this whole sort of work from home thing, uh, it's the seeming inability of knowledge businesses to get their people back in the office. Um, like that's interesting. That's surprising. Uh, you know, if we sort of had the conversation, I would have said, well, this is a pandemic or a thing and we'll go back to it, but not so much. Um the you know the siren call of speculation is alive and well in financial markets and you know it's not just tulip bulbs but it's SPACs, crypto, private this, private that. Like that's I suppose on some level that should surprise me, but maybe if I were more cynical it wouldn't. 
Um, and then the, what's striking to me is the easy ability to attract fresh capital for alts. Um, but the, the sort of unevenness of the ability to dispose of those positions in the secondary market if one should want to. That's, that's a bit of a surprise. Interesting. What What's your biggest concern about the current state of the asset and wealth management business? I, there's, there's lots of things to wring your hands about. Um, but I, I, the, I, the way I'd sort of tackle your question, Murray, is not so much what's the concern as what I think is one of the challenges in the business. And that's, that's sort of a, uh, what I would describe as a tension between growth and focus. Um, you know, to the, in our business, serving private clients is, uh, that's, that's kind of what we do. And you could sort of say, look, we want to run headlong uh, to grow the business and grow the top line and grow profitability relentlessly. Um, and very often that challenges the business to evolve in a way that um, is, 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 you know, hard to manage and, 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 you know, maybe draws your focus away from what you were originally good at. And I'd use a restaurant metaphor. If you've got a really successful Italian restaurant, but you want to grow like Topsy, what are your choices? Your choices are to open another branch. You could expand your menu and hope you can sort of sell more plates. Um, but maybe if you're your physical space is full up, it's hard to do. Or you could say, you know what, we're really good at running a restaurant, so now, in addition to Italian, we're going to open another restaurant that's Greek, and we're going to do something beyond that. And, you know, that part of what makes you a really good Italian restaurant is how you look after the front of house and, and how the, the chefs in the kitchen do their job. And it's not obvious to me that you can grow the thing dramatically, like scale at orders of magnitude, and still preserve what made you successful as that sort of original Italian restaurant. So that's it's a metaphor, but I, I, that's a challenge for the business because uh, there's so much in financial markets, especially stock prices, that are uh, linked to growth. You pay more for a growth company. It'll just see what people are paying for NVIDIA, for example. So growth is a very, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's sort of highly sought, um, but it does create challenges for leaders in our business as well as for our clients if, if, if we sort of chase that unreservedly. You know, interesting. On, on the other hand, what, what excites you most about today's asset and wealth management business? Oh, um, like no, no. I think about the private client business because that's what we're in. So, you know, apologies to listeners who, who, who don't think about this space, but like there is no lack of need that the private clients have, particularly the, those who are getting wealthier, for the kinds of services that a, uh, that a private 
private client investment manager and wealth manager can provide. Um, you know, DIY is valuable and appropriate only for a segment of the of the private client world. It's not appropriate for all. Um, there's a there's absolutely a role for sort of good, clear, transparent explanations, framing uh, private client wealth management decisions that uh, that a client needs to make and framing them properly so that they they make the decision uh, on the right basis and and get reasonably confidently and you know sort of communicating through the whole piece like there's 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 no lack of need for that it's the need is as great as ever um, and the you know the role of the, the manager to um, uh, you know provide the usual advice guidance, sounding board role, like all of those things that are, have been at the core of the practice all the way through the piece, they continue to be important and valuable all the while. And, you know, you've got sort of demographics that are, um, if anything, creating a, a continued, slow, steady uh, growth opportunity. So to me, like the, the, there are lots of people who at various times have sort of pronounced the death knell for uh, the traditional private client uh, wealth manager, but it uh, doesn't mean there isn't competition out there. It doesn't mean that the competition isn't different than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but the opportunity for uh, like the addressable market that uh, we, we, we um, have a bit accessible to us, like that's Un- continues unabated. I think it's very exciting. So following up on that a little bit, uh, the final question that we've always ended with is getting you to sort of look into your crystal ball and tell us what you think the future holds for, for in your particular case, the wealth management business. Yeah, I love this question because, uh, um, for, first of all, it gives me an opportunity to look back at what I said to you back in December 2020. And that's, uh, that's sufficiently humbling that I'm not going to take listeners through that. Um, and let me sort of preface by saying investment management is not an exercise in predicting the future. Um, so uh, uh, with that caveat, here are some thoughts. Um, the extraordinary volatility of the past few years is actually probably the norm now. Um, like uh, declines and recoveries, they happen faster now than they did 10 years ago. Um, I don't see any sort of return to the salad days of yore, you know, the so-called yeah. good old days, if they frankly ever really existed, where things happened more gradually and without the sort of instantaneous drama. I don't see a return to that. So that living with you know, extraordinary volatility is uh, like I, I think that's that's just part of the environment. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say, sort of consistent with what I've said about what excites me about the industry, like the important role of um, serving clients, um, whether it's actually performing the core business of portfolio management or whether it's delivering the service of hand-holding, sounding board, advice, counsel. Uh, Like, that's no less necessary, no less valuable these days 
um, than it has been, as I said earlier. And I think it will continue to be necessary and valuable. Um, so those are, you know, so both of those things are a little bit like motherhood and apple pie. It's not hard to predict them, but um, like I don't, those are sort of secular underpinnings to our, you know, this this industry. I, I think they they'll persist. That's what's ahead for us. So volatility and volatility, uh, volatility and service. Yeah, service and 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 uh, the service in its sort of broadest interpretation. Uh, the you know the it's interesting in the the pandemic when when times were so tough. Uh, sure, it's great if you picked the right stocks and they didn't go down as much, but for many managers, simply counseling clients against selling in the face of a call it a flash crash and just holding on uh, that actually like more money is made for clients that way less money is lost for clients by by uh, preventing them from cashing out inappropriately like that's a that's a huge source of value and yet strangely enough it's not a stock picking thing it's not a security selection thing. It's actually behavioral um, counsel, um, and that, that that that's a that's a big part of the business, and that ain't going away. Um, human nature uh, isn't changing in that respect, and artificial intelligence, I don't think, is going to change it. Thanks for providing some very interesting perspectives, Dennis. I always enjoy chatting with you and and really appreciate your time. Murray, it is my pleasure. It gives me an opportunity to think about these things at a 80,000 foot level in a way that uh, when most of my days is spent in the weeds, I, I don't necessarily get a chance to do. So thank you. Indeed. For additional insights on topics relevant to corporate and institutional investors, including our previous podcasts, visit rbcis.com slash insights. I'm Murray Bender. Thanks for listening. This content is provided for general information and does not constitute financial, tax, legal, or accounting advice and should not be relied upon in that regard. Neither RBC Investor Services nor its affiliates accepts any liability for loss or damage arising from use of the information in this podcast. <laughs>